I'm going to take you tonight very quickly to the book of Luke. If you would join me there. I'm going to do my best to not keep you very long this evening. But I feel like the Lord wants to speak to us in this house. The book of Luke chapter 7. I'm so grateful for what I feel in this house. I don't believe the Lord's done yet. Amen. I think sometimes we get in the habit of believing that we're waiting on heaven. But I'm telling you tonight, heaven's waiting on somebody to step out by faith. God's waiting on somebody to make that declaration in this house. Amen. 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 Woo. I feel the Holy Ghost in here tonight. I feel the Holy Ghost in here tonight. Mm. We're getting ready to read from Luke 7, but I want us to just take a minute right here and stretch our faith towards the Lord. You can just hold that Bible right there close to your chest. I feel something trying to break forth in this house tonight. Woo, Jesus. Mm. Lord, you're going to be faithful to complete what you have begun. You are going to finish what you have started. Woo. I'm asking you, God, to release mighty angels in this city tonight. Lord, our desire at this moment is that angels would be released from heaven. Begin to walk up and down the streets of this city. Uh, drive back every spirit of deception. In the name of Jesus, let angels war for us tonight over the atmosphere of this city. That what you desire to do in this first dimension, God, the angels of heaven would run interference in the second dimension and there would be an open heaven over us tonight. Let there be an open heaven over this house tonight. God let prayers that have been prayed in this sanctuary be dispatched and hit their target tonight with accuracy in the name of Jesus I pray that you would shake something in this house tonight Lord prayers that would shake this entire region Woo! send mighty angels to the midwest to Indianapolis, God, to central Indiana. We desire your power. We desire your power. We desire your presence, God. We desire your glory. Woo! I pray, God, that you would do such a mighty work in this church that the entire world would have to turn their head to see the goodness of God. I pray, Lord, that you would do something so astounding and so staggering and so amazing that only you would get the glory for it. In the name of Jesus. Somebody help me praise him tonight for what we feel. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Woo. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Luke chapter 7, if you would please. Luke chapter 7 and verse number 36. I'm just going to obey the Holy Ghost tonight. Amen. Luke 7 and 36. Thank you, choir. 
for leading us. What a beautiful spirit we feel in the house tonight. 7 and 36. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself. Notice, he said this. Where did he say it? Within himself. He said, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known what manner of woman this is that touches him. Because she is a sinner. And Jesus answered the thoughts that were in his heart. Jesus answered what he was thinking and said to him, I have somewhat to say unto thee, Simon. And he said, well, master, say on. He said there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. One owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me which one of them will love him most. Simon said, well, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most, he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, do you see this woman? I entered into your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman since came and hath not ceased to kiss my feet, my head with oil. Thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. He said to her, thy sins are forgiven. They that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sin also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Now this is, this is a powerful story of a woman who had truly been forgiven much. We see that. But she was being judged by what others saw in her and what others thought she was. But when she came in the room, she worshipped him, not caring what a single person in the room thought about her. This is a powerful story of worship, and I want to preach to you worship, and I want to preach to you for just a few minutes tonight. It's going to sound odd, but I'm going to preach this to you. It's about to get messy in here. It's about to get messy in here. Come on, somebody. Turn to your neighbor and tell them tonight, it's about to get messy in here. You may be seated in Jesus' name. This woman that came to Jesus, we believe, and when I say we, I mean we that preach and teach the scripture, and most scholars do believe that this is Mary, of whom Jesus had cast out 
seven devils. She had, she had lived in a pretty dark place. But when Jesus walked in to where she was living, the Bible said that the demonic spirits that lived inside of her departed from her. She had been tormented. But when Jesus walked in, torment walked out. I think I may need to say that again. She lived her life tormented, but when Jesus walked in, torment walked out. I've come to preach to somebody tonight that's been tormented, and I want to tell you, when Jesus walks in, torment walks out. When Jesus walks in, confusion walks out. When Jesus walks in, sickness has to go. I feel my helping here right now. When Jesus comes in, confusion has to leave. When Jesus walks in, depression has to go. Are you hearing me, devil? I'm saying every word you have spoken tonight, it has to go. This woman understood the value of freedom. She understood what it meant to be bound. And she knew what it felt like to be free. And it's apparent by her worship after she was delivered that she continued to worship the Lord. This is a trend that we don't see happen very often anymore in the modern day church. A lot of people want to come and get deliverance. And after their deliverance, they go their way. As a matter of fact, they usually set themselves up, and Jesus taught about this, but they usually set themselves up to be filled again. Only he said the next time. That spirit will connect itself to seven spirits like it. And it will come back seven times stronger. I know it's hard for people to wrap their minds around it. But it really can get worse without Jesus. Come on, your life really can get worse without Jesus. Well, pastor, I'm fighting right now. I'd rather fight with him on my team. Than to go through my life without him. I'm telling you right now. The will of God for your life is freedom. She understood the value of being set free. And, and, and we believe that this is the woman who had been delivered. And it's apparent to me that after her deliverance, she came to worship him. I believe that God is trying his very best to work through us as the church of the living God to bring us to the place where people... Do not receive temporary relief. But they are truly delivered. How do you know the difference, Pastor? When somebody gets relief, they run off and do their thing. But when they get delivered, they come back to bless the one who just delivered them. Some people, you've heard me say, and I don't mean this to sound in any way. I mean it in a literal way. It's a term that we don't hear. I don't want to offend anybody when I say this, but... It's amazing how many people treat Jesus like their sugar daddy. They call him up when they got something they need. They call him up when they're in need of a touch. They call him up when they're in need of a little money. You understand what I'm saying? The intimacy between them and God is only for what's in it for them. But this woman said, I know what it feels like to be bound. And I know what it feels like to be free. And I like being free. So I think I'll just keep on worshiping him in order to stay free. I'm telling you that after God delivers you, there's some things that you owe him. You owe him the best part of what you've got left. 
want God to set me free and forgive me and me go about my way. I want him to find me at his feet saying thank you for deliverance. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for what I feel. She knew what it felt like to need freedom. And she knew what it felt like to taste freedom. I just wonder tonight if there's anybody in this room. Y'all look so good. Man, y'all look good in here tonight. I wonder if there's anybody in here that knows what this preacher's preaching about. That you know what it tastes like to be bound up, so bound up that there is no deliverance. But one night you walked into an apostolic church. And Jesus just so happened to be in the room. Forgive me, folks. I, I, I don't want this to hurt nobody. But we've got to offer more in an apostolic church than they can find at any other religious meeting in the world. I don't want to be like every other church. I don't want to be a religious community center. I want it to be that when the bound walk in this house, they leave here free. I want the drunk to walk in here but leave this house sober. I want the drug addict that comes in here bound to know you can leave here free. I want you to know there's freedom. When Mary came in contact with Jesus, she didn't live with those seven devils one more day. It was Jesus that made the difference. It didn't matter where she had been. It didn't matter what she was. Jesus made the difference. Woo. You know I believe in community and I love fellowship. I love to get together. I thank God for it. I thank God for our small groups. I thank God for the ones that we have formed and for the ones that have formed organically. Man, we've been, we've been keeping our, our power ladies from their power hour on Tuesday nights while we've been torn down, Sister Darla. Hopefully we can get you back in here. Maybe this week. Meeting on Tuesday nights. I thank God for it. But there's a big focus on community in the modern church. It's what you hear all the time. Community, community, community. But the problem is we teach more community than we do Jesus. I thank God for community. Got to have it. But a good cup of coffee sitting down chatting is not what sets me free. Come on, I'll drink coffee with the best of them. I love to drink coffee. I love to chat. I love to sit down for biscuits and gravy at a men's breakfast. But you know what really starts changing the atmosphere is when those men get up from the table, Brother Tony, and they walk over to the prayer room and they start praying. They start praying Jesus over every neighborhood in this community. They start praying Jesus over this entire region. That's what's going to change it. We've got to preach more Jesus than we preach community. We've got to preach more Jesus than we do counseling. I'm going to be super careful because I know there's a lot of people that see this. 
So I'm going to be extremely vague in this, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, I get frustrated. My wife and I, some time ago, had been to a, a large meeting. We went to the meeting that night, and the man behind the pulpit, who I honor and respect and love and revere, I can't say enough good about him. He's a man full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. He's a praying man. After he preached the word, he stood in the altar that night in the platform. He stood and he raised his hands over the church and he prophesied that night. And he said, God is setting some people free in here right now from some mental things. And he started going through it. Some things that you've been going through mentally and spiritually. Things that you've been struggling with. And he began to prophesy over that crowd. And I'm telling you, it was powerful what God did in that room. And when he finished, he said, tomorrow there's going, we're going to have a talk in here about some things. There's going to be a forum, and we're going to talk about some mental health things tomorrow. Some of the things, and his statement was, some of the things that God healed you of tonight, we're going to talk about tomorrow. And when the, when the counselor got up in this session and began to talk about uh, mental health and all those things, the statement was made that morning in the, in the session. I was there. I heard it firsthand. This is not hearsay. This is not through the grapevine. But the girl that was talking, she's a certified counselor, and she said, Now, I know last night that Brother So-and-so stood up here and prophesied that God had just healed some of you. She said, But I tell you what, I, I believe that God can heal people, but you need to go home and put a good treatment plan together. You need to go home and get you a good treatment plan and find you a good counselor. Listen, I'm not against counseling. I'm not against it. But I still believe he that the son has set free. I've seen God heal. I've seen reports come back. They said, what we found before is not there anymore. Come on now. And it astounds me the way we look at this. I believe God's a healer. And I believe he heals from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. And if God heals me of cancer, I'm not going to go get chemo. So if God heals my mind, I'm not going to go sit in a therapist's office. It may not be popular, but it's the truth. I'm telling you right now that God is still able. God. God can deliver. God can set free. God can heal your mind. Woo. My God have mercy. I'm telling you, I feel something in here. I'm pushing up against it right now. I know it's in the house. Listen, I'm telling you, I believe in people getting help that need help. And after you've pastored as long as I have been in church, as long as I have, you know there's some folk that need medication. And some need a lot. Whole lot. I've dealt with it. I've dealt with people that my counsel to them was you need to go get that adjusted. I'm being honest. You need to go get that adjusted. You need to go get that looked at. But I want to say something to you tonight that I can't apologize for. We've got to give God the first shot at this. Before I go loading up my prescription cabinet, I'd like to get a prayer closet and let God work on me.
I'm going to make this statement, and some of you are going to think I'm generalizing this, but I, I'm, I'm making a statement. I'm not just throwing a blanket out there, but I, I believe this. I believe there's some folks that are getting medicated for oppression. I, I, don't, I don't believe they're, they're, they're getting medicated for something that's really wrong in the medulla oblongata. I believe that the enemy is oppressing them. I believe there's some folks that are in mental hospitals tonight because of possession. Come on, I'll take a Baptist nod on that. There's some people tonight that are tormented. And the first place that folks want to send them is to be sure you get a pill and go get yourself some treatment. This may sound old-fashioned, but I'm just telling you, I believe when Jesus is in the room, he can take care of a lot of stuff. I thank God for people that are way smarter than I am. I thank God for people that are they're way deeper than I am. But I think sometimes we got to get out of the textbook and get back in the book and understand that he's still a delivering God. Lord have mercy. If you know he's a deliverer, you ought to shout yes in this house. Oh, God. I, I, I was reading the other night a, a book. It was kind of going into the history of AA. And AA was is very interesting because the way that it started, they've kind of, it's kind of been somewhat of an aberration over time, but really the way that it started, there's 12 steps to it. But every, every part of that program was birthed out of a biblical principle. 12 steps because there were 12 disciples, 12 apostles. Every part of that was, was based out of a biblical idea. And they did a study with people that had been in AA. It was quite astounding to me, the study. I don't remember the exact percentage, so I'm not going to throw it out there and guess because 98% of statistics are made up. But they, they did a study on people that got through the same 12 steps as everybody in the class that would go back to drinking. They did fine until someone died or there was problems in their family or a divorce or whenever something would come up, they would go back to the drinking. They would go back to being an alcoholic except for the other group that did not go back now now in that they just call it believing in a higher power. They go through the 12 steps and they believe in a higher power. But they said the people who would openly admit in that program that it doesn't matter how many of these 12 steps I follow, I cannot do this on my own. I need the help of the Lord. They said the large percentage of those people, they go through the 12 steps and they continue in a relationship with God. And that's the ones that when hard times come, they keep on standing in their deliverance. So what I'm saying to you is there may be 12 steps in the program, but it may be 12, 15, or 24 steps from where you're sitting to this altar to say, Lord, I can't do this on my own, and I've got to have your help. 
still believe he'll set an alcoholic free. I still believe he will. If he's ever set you free, shout hallelujah. So this woman, she knew what it felt like to be free. And when you want freedom, you're willing to risk a lot. The Bible said that she was a sinner. She walked into the house of a Pharisee. Now, this is, this is a pretty big deal. I could get in trouble with a lot of people for this. But, you know, ladies weren't looked at quite the same in that culture in the day of Jesus. So let me say it to you like this. She might have been a guest, but she was certainly uninvited. Especially in the house of a Pharisee. She was not welcome to be there. But there's something convicting that happens. Oh boy. I probably should have just let y'all pray through this. But there's something interesting that happens when somebody who doesn't deserve the kind of attention you do comes in and gives God the kind of attention that he deserves before you do. Because Simon, you've got it all together and she don't. But there's something that's so unique about this. You feel like you deserve him She don't feel like she deserves him. She feels like he deserves her best. It makes apostolics uncomfortable when you've got your name played on your seat and you walk in and somebody that don't smell like you or look like you or act like you. Who do they think they are to come in here and take up my meeting? Hey, I'm telling you right now that God will step over a professional Pentecostal to get to somebody that's hungry. I'm not here to discourage you tonight, but God is not into professionalism. God is into hunger. God is into worship. She knew when she walked through the door that people were looking down their nose at her. She knew that. It was was not a secret. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those rooms, but it gets uncomfortable. When you walk in and you know they don't want you there. Because you hear snickers and sneers and jokes. I know it's not recorded. You know how I am though. I just like to get in that room walk around. I was standing in that room looking as she walked in. You know somebody started elbowing, sitting at the table saying, do you see that? you see who just walked in here? Who does she think she is? I think maybe you're missing it, Simon. This is not about who she is. It's about who he is. I wonder how many times we've been guilty in the church when somebody comes home to be restored. That we start elbowing our neighbor and saying, I wonder how many times they're going to do this again. You know, it was just three months ago they were up there praying and crying and it didn't do any good. Wonder how long this one's going to last. Go ahead, baby. Put pressure on those Pentecostals. Get up here and pray. Get up here and repent. Get up here and cry. Get up here and dance. Well, they don't deserve it. I don't know why every time they come, Pastor and Sister TJ are over there praying for them. Come on, baby. Come on up here tonight. We want to pray for you because we believe God can still do it. I'm praying that God will 
going to wreck the pig pen tonight. I'm praying that the prodigals that are laying in the pig pen will wake up and come back home. Luke 15 paints a beautiful story of when that boy came back home. But I'm just telling you folks right now, when his daddy hugged him, it was not a pleasant experience. He didn't come to himself in the palace hotel. He came to himself in a pig pen. He came to himself in the trash. And when he walked through the door, he didn't smell right. And he didn't look right. But his daddy said, go in there and get that robe. Go get that fatted cap. Hey, I'm preaching to some backslider that's watching this online tonight. We're still feeding the calf. We're still waiting on you to come home. I'm going to feed it every day. I'm going to feed the calf in prayer. I'm going to prepare the house. We've got your robe ready. It's hanging in the closet. Come on back home. Be delivered. Yes. I still believe he can. I said, I still believe he can. <laughs> I'm not, I won't go into great detail. I want to tell you, God's working when you don't see that he's working. I, do, I just want to share just a little bit, Brother Haney, with your permission about hearing from Anthony. Is that okay? Anthony left here, their son, their oldest son, Anthony, left here. He was not in good shape when he left. He's not, he's not in a good frame of mind. But he left here and he went out west. Spent a long time in Arizona. And then ended up in San Diego. I don't remember. Was it in Phoenix? We got the picture that night that he was in Phoenix. I got this picture. We've been praying. We've been believing. We've been believing God. He wasn't around here. Like we couldn't see him, couldn't communicate with him. Somebody. And an apostolic church sent the Haney's a picture of Anthony praying back through to the Holy Ghost. God found him in the pig pen of Phoenix. And said, I got a church there too. Or my kids aren't even around here. I don't know how to pray. God's got a church where they're at. I don't, I don't say this in any way to sound embarrassing, but when he left here, his hat was on backwards. His mouth was dirty. Saying things that he shouldn't have been saying. Acting like he shouldn't have been acting. But I got a letter in the mail the other day. He said, Pastor, I'm in San Diego. He said, I'm in a program helping other young people. He said, I should have listened when I was there, but I wasn't in the right frame of mind. He said, but I've given my life back to the Lord, and God is using me. I'm getting ready to graduate from this program, and God 
He's still a deliverer. can find you seven devils deep. But when people come home, it's amazing what happens. Because they walk through the doors and Simons start saying, we don't need that around here. I might have to get a security escort out of here. I'm going to tell you what we don't need. We don't need a bunch of Pentecostal punks. That's what we don't need. We don't need a bunch of Pentecostal punks that are highfalutin and they're spoiled rotten because they've been one of God's favorites. Looking at all the poor people that's been through hell on earth and saying, guess you should have stayed home, huh? I can say it with a smile on my face because they're on their way home. Some of the first tears that will be shed in the new carpet of this church are going to be backsliders that have walked away from God. Some of the first feet to dance and run these aisles are going to be backsliders that are coming back home. You don't know how far they've gone, Pastor. Then you don't know how far he can reach. You don't don't know how far he'll go. I'm not saying this tonight to sound offensive to you, but I'm telling you, we've come to a place where you're either going to have to get on the train or get left. Just being honest. Because if you don't want your seat, God's going to send somebody that does. I believe it, Brother Biltz. I believe God's going to send somebody that wants that apostolic seat. Somebody may not want to sit there. They may not want to be there every time the doors are open, but there's a drug addict in this town right now that if they could ever taste of what you've tasted here tonight, they'd be here every time the doors are open. Church family, I love you, but we are spoiled rotten. 
There's hungry people in this town that would die to feel what we felt in this place tonight. <laughs> she walks in the room, people start elbowing. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I saw it when I was at camp meetings and lunch rooms at school, you know. When somebody walks in that the mean kids don't want to sit down at the table, they'll all be bunched up, but they'll all scoot about three inches apart so there's not that one seat left. You ever seen that? That makes me want to whoop somebody, Brother Hensel. You've seen it, Brother Andrew. Some kid walks in, but they don't want to sit in there, so they all scoot just far enough apart where there's not a seat left. Is there anybody in here tonight that's willing to scoot in? Come on. There's room by me. Come on, honey. Come on. It's about to get messy in here. Simon and his buddies, they start scooting down. Scoot over, scoot, 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 scoot over, scoot over. And they were so shocked when she walked right past them because she didn't want their seat. I hope you know, Simon, she's not here to see you, sir. Looky here. Look at what God has done for me. And they'll walk right past your hide to get to the man that can really make a difference. There's something that had to be powerful in that room. But this is, this is just me walking in that room, you know. The first thing that comes to me is if they really knew who was sitting at their table, they wouldn't have been distracted from what he was saying when she walked in. Am I making any sense? He's sitting at the table, giving them words of life, and they start looking at the failure that walked in, and they're like, who does she think he is? My question, please, I'm not being a jerk. My question, who do you think you are to look away from him while he's talking to you? I mean, this is not just some chump from Galilee. This is God manifest in the flesh. He was so powerful, Peter said, where else are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. It ain't hard to find carnal people. They get distracted with what Jesus is saying because they're afraid somebody else is going to get his attention. But I want to tell every perfect polished Pentecostal in here, there's still enough of him to go around. If he did it for my family, he can do it for your family. Simon, if he did it for her, he can do it for your kids. 
If he healed her body, he can heal your body. If he set her free, he can set you free. She walked in there. I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying. Walked right past them. And the Bible said she got down behind Jesus. She got down behind Jesus. And she started weeping tears. And she started washing his feet with her tears. I can't even imagine that. I just can't imagine that. I can't imagine the beauty while everybody else is talking, there's this little sound on the floor. <laughs> They're still saying who she thinks she is. She's not paying them any attention. If these feet wouldn't have walked to where I was, I'd still be the same. But I'm thankful that when I couldn't come to where he was, these feet came walking down my street. I had tried everything. I had tried the law of the Pharisees. But when these feet came walking to where I was, they could hear the sounds and they made fun of look at her crying look at that dummy look at her look at her down there crying can you believe she's got the audacity to come in here and she reaches into the satchel that she had and they didn't know they didn't know they just thought she was a sinner but she reaches into the satchel that she had and she pulled out an alabaster box that had so much value they, they didn't know she was worth that much are you hear what I said they didn't know she was worth that much but when she pulled out of the bag what they couldn't see, they realized this girl's got a little more than we thought she had. I've come to preach to somebody in here tonight. Everybody wrote you off because they didn't see the potential you were, you were carrying around. But when you got down at his feet, God's going to reveal your worth. She pulls out that alabaster. Precious box full of precious ointment. She pulls it out. And the Bible records. Now you talk about awkward. You think it was awkward that she was down on her knees crying over his feet. But the Bible records in all three gospels. That she poured it over his head. I don't know if you've ever been anything like that. I ain't never been sitting at dinner table where somebody on purpose stands up and starts dumping it over somebody's head. Now, I've had servers at Ryan's dump it on my suit. But she stood up off that floor of humility. And she took the most valuable thing that she had. And she began to pour it over his head. And they looked at her and said, why is she wasting that? And Jesus said... You call it waste. I call it worship. You may think it's just a waste, but it's the best she's got. And I could do something with that. 
You, you may not like it. And it may make you uncomfortable. But I can do something with that. As a matter of fact, in another gospel, Jesus said, I want her story to be told everywhere. She dumped that out. Don't worry, I'm just killing dust. She poured it out. And then they started talking about, at first they said she had no value. And then when her value was revealed, they said she was wasting her value. What are you saying, Pastor? Please listen to me. I'm not being critical. But you just can't win with some people. You just can't win with some people. You got to get your attention off what they're saying about you and start pouring out your love. As you can see here on the floor tonight, I have made a mess. And I did it on purpose. I did it on purpose because I want to tell you something. When I come in here tomorrow, you'll be able to see where I've been. And that is what made Simon uncomfortable. This is my house. But the next morning when he got up and walked to the living room, he said, what is that smell? And he looked down on the floor and he said, oh yeah. But over there on his shelf, was a valuable ointment that he refused to pour out. He said, it makes me uncomfortable because I've still got mine, but she poured hers out. That woman said, it's about to get messy up in here. And for days on end after I leave here, you're going to know that worship happened in this house. It's authentic worship when there's a mess on the floor. It's, a, it's authentic worship when the smell lingers for days. You can stand. I got to quit. It's late. I got people right now that's supposed to be in their jammies right now. <laughs> Mamma Bingham, I'm trying. I'm going to get you to them jammies in just a minute. I want my worship to be so real that when people walk in, <laughs> they say, mm. It smells like they had church up in here. <laughs> it's about to get messy up in here. Because I'm going to take everything i got and pour it out at his feet. I'm going to take everything I've got. I've preached this before, but i got to close with it tonight. I don't know if, if I've even preached it here, to be honest with you. I've preached it before. But I don't know if I've preached it here. I was studying one time on that alabaster box and it was said that women in that, in that culture, they would keep a box of ointment like that with them. Now, obviously it's just historical, so there's not a whole lot I can prove about, about it other than just that I, I read it. But it was said that women, 
that had a, 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 an alabaster box like that, that it could actually be opened without being broken, that there was a way to open it on the top. That's how it was filled. They filled it with that ointment. And they said that those women, oftentimes Bishop would open up when they were in, in times of grieving and mourning or they were broken, that they would open up that box and the smell of that, that ointment was so beautiful that in difficult times they would open that box so they could smell the sweetness of the savor. They said it was not uncommon that while they were smelling the sweetness to remind them of goodness, that tears of bitterness would drip down their cheeks and would fall into that ointment. The day that that woman poured that ointment out on his feet, I'd like to submit to you respectfully, it wasn't just goodness that she poured on that floor. <laughs> but she took her broken things. You can't smell the brokenness because of the beauty of the ointment. But I got some tears invested in that. I'll tell you something. Worship is so beautiful. God doesn't care how broken your tears are. He'll take the tears to get the worship. He'll take the broken things to get your worship. I'm telling you right there where you are tonight. It doesn't matter how broken you've been. I dare you to lift your hands and say, God, if you would just take my brokenness tonight, I've come to worship you. I've come to pour my praise out. God, it's about to get messy in here because I'm going to take my tears and I'm going to take my worship and I'm going to pour it out at your feet. Come on, somebody. I, I would challenge you right there tonight. Just begin to offer it to the Lord. Lord, you know where I've been. And you know what I've been through. And you've seen my shortcomings. And you've seen how I failed. God, you've seen every broken day of my life. But I'm going to lay it at your feet tonight. Woo! Come on. He was with you in that jail cell. He was with you in that hospital. Come on. He was with you in that broken place. He was with you. Bring it to him. He was with you in that courtroom. He was with you in that surgery. He was with you in that funeral home. He was with you tonight. Bring it. It's about to get messy in here. Because I'm fixing to pour out everything I've got on him. And I'm going to give him my best. And I'm going to give him my worst. But at the end of the day, I'm going to bless God. At the end of the day, I'm going to bless him. He's seen my shortcomings. And while I may be crying tears of joy tonight because of his goodness, there were tears of bitterness that were involved. I'm about to pour it out on him. I'm going to pour out my praise and I'm going to pour out my brokenness. But nevertheless, I'm going to give him my best. Come on. Woo. That's it. Let him have it tonight. Give him your best. Shakalamahataya. Hiyalaboko shakatamahaya. 